Hello, my name is Ben Burrell and welcome back to Bob Dylan Album by Album, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at each Bob Dylan studio recording, record by record. We're currently on a break between season one and season two. This is a little special episode to uh, tide you over until season two starts. And it's not a look at a Bob Dylan album per se, it's more an abstract podcast answering the question that I've set myself really. And that is, is Bob Dylan's musical diversity overlooked compared to his lyrics? As I say in the podcast, I don't think Bob Dylan is underrated as an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but his music is often overlooked because his lines and verses are just such the focus and they take such a domineering centre stage presence within his work, it's kind of often hard to remember the music that surrounds them. Here we'll take a look at that music and how it's shifted and changed over the years and how that might have gone under the radar slightly. I woke up this morning, there were tears in my bed they killed a man I really love Shot him through the head Lord, Lord, they cut your jacks down Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground Whilst I think we can all agree there is little challenge to Dylan being one of the best lyricists of all time, if not the best lyricist of all time, there's always a slight snagging sense of disappointment from some areas at his musical capabilities. Whether it be the recording process with its studio failings, in fact the enemy once wrote that Blood on the Tracks was sonically shoddy, or other musicians talking about Bob's lack of musical craft, Mark Knopfner basically called Dylan's guitar playing rudimentary on the Infidel sessions. There always seems to be some feeling throughout his career that he was just getting by musically. This is obviously understandable. There is a large school of thought that sees his music as just a vehicle for his lyrics. And to a certain degree, I agree with that and I see why that's true. As a poet, he used the tools of the time, which back in the early 60s was a booming pop music scene. This becomes a medium for his art, an outlet for his lyrics, if you will. I don't think it was as simple as him realising one day that the life of a poet is significantly less rewarding than that of a folk star, both financially and otherwise, so he just learned a couple of guitar chords. I think it might be more subconscious than that. Obviously, the music on those early tracks and albums was acting as a stage for his thoughts, and rightfully so, but I think sometimes we forget about the melody in those early songs. Blowing in the Wind, for example, that top line is as good as any Beatles pop song in terms of melody, but we often dwell on its lyrics rather than focusing on the other parts of the song. That melody is almost as universal and enduring as a nursery rhyme. In fact, Paul Simon said... Dylan's early songs were very rich, with very strong melodies. Blowing in the Wind has one of the strongest melodies. Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind not only is Bob rich in melodies, but when you actually sit down and run through his career, there's quite a bit of musical variation in there too. Sure, compared to some artists that sit at the icon table, Bob fails to meet their level of experimentation most of the time. We never had Dylan's Sgt Peppers, for example, or his Low, or even his Kid A. But there's more musical dalliances than we first thought. Compare, for example, the Freewheeling's classic Karina Karina, the first track on that LP to feature drums and possibly its most sonically interesting, despite its very bare-bones production. Karina, Karina, where you been so long? Now listen to say this song from Blonde on Blonde, released a mere three years later. 
serving You shouldn't take it so personal between these two recordings, studio technology is basically the same, and we haven't really had that huge experimental album from a competing artist to inspire Bob to change his sound, but there's already been a big shift sonically on his own terms. Gone is that acoustic intimacy replaced with a complex mercury sound that's littered throughout Blonde on Blonde. It goes without saying that between these two albums, we went through the infamous change from acoustic to electric, and even that, I feel, is somewhat musically undervalued. It was so wrapped up in controversy at the time, something that's still dwelled on since, we rarely sit down and listen and actually marvel at the bold musical shift. I'm not going to get into Shouts of Judas and the Newport Folk Festival, that's for another podcast. Forgetting the wider implications, let's look at the music only. Take Ballad of Thin Man, for example. The level of production here wouldn't sound out of place today. That atmosphere that's created in this song is so rich, it's so moody and so full of depth. You walk into the room With your pencil in your hand You see somebody naked in you You say, who is that man? Listen to that piano part. It almost acts as a second percussion line with its clattering keys. The crisp drums add to that too, as does that metallic-sounding guitar line in the left ear. But the real star of the show is the organ. It creates a feeling of intrigue. In fact, that organ part wouldn't sound out of place in a crime drama's theme tune. It also has a slow-moving, sluggy menace to it that suits those poisonous lyrics so well. Listen to its yelping on the sixth verse. He crosses himself and then he clicks his high heels And without further notice he asks you how it feels And he says, here is your throat back, thanks for the loan you know something is happening but you don't know what it is do you mr jones this musical shift would continue throughout the decade after stripping things back with John Wesley Harding in 67 we finish off Dylan's 60s run with another switch in sound this time bob goes country in come pedal steel guitars, honky-tonk pianos, thinner electric guitars, and most surprisingly of all, a brand new vocal. This softer country croon is a million miles away from that bright-eyed New York street poet from six years earlier. And what is amazing too is actually how well it works. It's not uncommon for singers to change their voice or for time to change it for them, but this shift is not only dramatic in the extreme, but also serves the album really, really well. In fact, without prior knowledge, you might refuse to believe that that early Dylan recording is the same man as the one found here. Listen to the shift from the freewheeling version of The Girl from the North Country to the one found on Nashville Skylight. If you're travelling in the North Country fire where the winds hit heavy on the borderline Remember me to, to one who lives there For she once was a true love of mine 
Outside of famous examples such as the Beatles plunging into the world of the psychedelic, this is quite a bold move for someone as big as Dylan. Granted, it's hardly like he's adopted a hip-hop soundtrack and started singing in French, but to change his voice to become almost unrecognisable is quite daring. From Nashville Skyline, we move into perhaps Bob's most experimental decade, the 70s. It contained the most obvious choice for Dylan's most interesting recording, the exotic and enticing Desire. Scarlet Riviera's gypsy violin transforms the tracks here, bringing a rushing mystical excitement with it. Not only that, there's Mexican influences and new instruments for Dylan too, like finger cymbals popping up on a lot of the tracks. In fact, it's curveball after curveball over the nine songs, with the best example being track seven, Romance in Durango. fruitful decade, we have the classic Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is taken from 1973's Pat Barrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack. It's another example of Dylan's changing sound. Whilst the song is hardly overlooked when it comes to discussion, I think we too easily miss the atmospherics of it. The choir's backing vocals from Brenda Patterson, Carol Hunter and Donna Weiss create a solid hymn-like bass for the rest of the song to be hung around. Those gospel tinges continue with the harmonian's low tones and the reverbed, hushed vocals from Dylan. It almost sounds like he's singing in a church at times. Finally, that wood-on-wood sound from the drums, again with reverb, give a nice edge to the song. It's almost a bit jarring, giving this hymn a bitter undercurrent. Mama, take this badge off of me These releases witnessed Dylan moving away from his bread and butter sound, slowly at first but then gaining some speed. He would of course occasionally return to that original sound but always take a diversion almost straight away after. Granted, a lot of Bob's contemporaries were changing at this time too, but it feels like he was moving in his own direction. It wasn't like he was making a fashionable 70s sounding album with prog rock guitars or a funk backing track. In fact, listening back today, not too many albums screamed that they were made in this decade at all, and that's something that Bob deserves a bit of credit for. He successfully manages to tweak his sound without the obvious or even fashionable style choices. At the end of the decade, he settled on another new sound, but not before a mini-period in the shape of 1978 Street Legal, full of brilliant backing vocals from, in part, Dylan's ex-wife, Carolyn Dennis. the brass section in these songs as well. It really helps to bring the best out of these tunes. It was a short-lived era, this though, as we enter the 80s with the infamous Born Again period. Like it or hate it, and the reviews across the board are quite mixed, this period is sonically actually quite interesting and once again marked another shift for Dylan. Gonna Serve Somebody from 1979's Slow Train Coming is a natural progression from the previous album's foray into atmospheric recordings and the use of backing vocals. You may be an ambassador to England or France You may like to gamble You might like to dance Dylan's performance also changes too. Somewhere in the classic 60s trio, he really started to perform on the recordings. 
But here, for the first time, it almost becomes a little more theatrical. You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby. Or you may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ. You may call me Ray. You may call me anything. No matter what you say, you're still gonna have to serve some. The subject matter obviously takes a huge leap in this period too, with Dylan writing about God and religion. It makes sense for the music to match that, and again, it may not be to your personal taste, but it's certainly a variation in sound. From the man who at one point barely included any drums on an album, here on a song like Pressing On from Saved, the gears have shifted significantly. Yes, while there are 17 years between those early 60s recordings and this sound, and you'd expect things to move on with time, it's not like we've been slowly edging towards this over the decades. Since then, we've already taken a trip to the exotic in Desire, we've gone full singer-songwriter with Blood on the Tracks, we've had a dalliance with Brass Bound on Street Legal, and we've had the whirlwind Mercury sound of Blonde on Blonde. It's been a tale of many digressions, and that continues coming out of this religious period as we get a very contemporary 80s-sounding record in the form of Infidels. That crisp sound on this album was brought on by Mark Knopfner and it introduced Dylan to a more modern recording technique, something he'd try and capture for the better part of the 80s. Gone are the gospel overtones from before, although lyrically these themes do still occur regularly, and they're replaced with more synthetic, compartmentalised sounds that also feature a hint of reggae. This is actually more of a departure in sound than first realised. With repeated listens, that bass and drum part from reggae duo Sly and Robbie really start to enhance the album's sound. Nofner's guitar hero Noodling does a good job of freshening up the guitar parts too, giving it a bit of quality. This album's interesting. It showed not for the first time that Dylan was good at changing his sound without shouting about it, but also that he is really good at picking collaborations as well. They become the driving force behind his musical diversions, whether it be on Infidels Here or with the storytelling on Desire being brought to life by playwright Jacques Levy and the exotic instrumentation facilitated by producer Don DeVito, who did the same on Street Legal, or a decade later when producer Daniel Lanois re-energises him with a darker, more spacious sound on 1989's Oh Mercy. this is other people helping to bring about a shift in sound and not Dylan doing it on his own, he is the ideas man behind them. And it's worth remembering that Bob isn't alone in doing this. It's the same as David Bowie calling up Nile Rodgers to give him a hit for the Let's Dance album, or George Martin bringing the technical know-how to the Beatles' off-the-wall ideas. When, as an artist, you can't technically furnish your record with the sound you want, you find someone who can, and Dylan seems really good at doing that even if their working relationships are often tense and often strained. Both Nofner and Lanois are on record saying they had difficult times during their respective recording sessions. I 
This shifting sound we've mentioned a lot on this episode is carried on well into the later parts of Bob's career, especially with the nightclubbing sound of modern times and yet another curveball with Together Through Life's accordion which dominates the album's tracklist. I mean, who saw that coming? Oh, well, I love you pretty, baby You're the only love I've ever known Just as long as you stay with me that particular curveball would shrink into insignificance later that year as Bob releases a Christmas album, which would also feature an accordion. However, unlike, say, Sting's baffling love of the lute, here the accordion doesn't actually feel that gimmicky and actually really aids the songs in question. This all brings us to the modern day, where inexplicably we've had three albums, and let's not forget one of those was a triple album, of standards covers, all from Dylan and a small band which is actually a fairly unique idea. It would have been easy for Bob to make an album of Sinatra covers with a big band behind him, but for the most part, he decided to scale them down, which gives them a nice intimate quality that actually really enriches the lyrics. I could have told you She'd hurt you She'd love you a while Then desert you Through all of my tears I could have told you so It feels like we've had enough of these covers for a lifetime. And again, like the Born Again period, it might not be to your personal taste, but it is another example of Bob pushing his sound even at this later stage in his career when he probably doesn't need to. While I don't think we can ever say Dylan is an underrated artist, I think we often overlook how much his sound has changed over the years and how comparable it is to a lot of other artists who are seen as musical chameleons. Crucially, he's taken it into unexpected, often difficult directions because he either wanted to challenge himself or more likely found whatever area interesting. Of course, over a 50-year career, you're bound to change your sound a fair amount and he never had the forward drive into the avant-garde like John Lennon or Brian Wilson, but jumping around from decade to decade, from album to album, it's a joy to see our once folk hero shift and change and become almost unrecognisable in the best possible way. No, he didn't redefine a genre outside of maybe folk, but he made sure his music was always interesting and you never quite know what you're going to get with every didn't release, even now. I've indulged in high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia, keeping constant research of our reports and news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer and the needy's getting needier. That is it for this special. Thank you once again for listening. Season two is not too far away. I'm currently halfway through episode one of season two. I'll let you know when that comes out on our social media. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bob Dylan Podcast. Until then, thank you very much once again for listening and goodbye.